Heavenly Father, again, again, we thank you. We thank you for all things. We thank you for the riches of your grace that you can pour out upon lost sinners, all because Christ has accomplished such a great work on the cross, uh, giving his own life over, shedding his own blood, dying for our sins and the sins of the whole world, and uh, then being raised gloriously, bodily, physically, and now seated at your right hand. And Heavenly Father, we were amazed at the great love that you have shown towards us there in that great event. And and then for preserving the scriptures that reveal that to us, Father. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that we've been taught by them down through the years and our hope is real and eternal and unshakable when we consider what stands written there. Heavenly Father, uh, may your word always be written on our hearts that we might easily recall it when needed, when we're in uh, circumstances, uh, harm's way, as it were, as we, of course, always are with uh, Satan and his enemies about and the the world around us, such as it is, Satan's playground. But Heavenly Father, you are calling out from those lost souls, a great people. And Father, I just thank you that we are lights in that darkness and have opportunities to reach out and, and pray that when we when we see an opportunity, we would, uh, in an open door, that we would go through that, that door boldly. There, there are a number, Heavenly Father, that we see often, and some are mentioned here, most are not. But Father, you know who they are and you know which ones you will be seeing soon. So I pray, Father, that we'd be ready and willing and uh, speak forth that precious word and that uh, some would still be saved in these dark days. We know that time is always short and shortening. We don't know your your calendar, your schedule, except from a high level. And scripture reveals it, but Father, I, I just pray that in this dark world, we would always see your hand of blessing at work. And though the enemy rages and uh, often seems to be in control of all things, though you know he is not. And in the end, there's only one who wins, and it's not him. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, our hope, which uh, endures through hard times. Some in our group and some uh, in their families have suffered great loss and challenges that are far beyond their abilities. And so, Father, I, I, I just pray. And for all of us, Father, I just pray that those who are not with us that would like to be with us in our meeting this morning would be blessed greatly. I, I pray for each of us that we would be protected by you from our many enemies, some in this world, but certainly a great many in the heavenlies, these evil ones seeking to destroy us. May we truly comprehend what stands written, that our true warfare is heavenly. Father, please protect our hearts and our minds and our spirits from their constant attacks. 
And may we with confidence live in this life, receiving the abundance of your grace, your truth, and your love. And may it energize us and and motivate us to be the kind of light in the darkness that, that you would have, Heavenly Father. Again, I thank you for each one who's gathered with us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. What a blessing it is to be together. Okay, well, we uh, certainly have an opportunity again this morning to enjoy the word of grace here as written on these pages so clearly. Uh, my focus, as you all know, for a while here has been on the scriptures that the Lord God sovereignly used to protect me and to instruct me and to really enlighten me concerning uh, your precious truth. And not just me, but Patty as well, and uh, how great that work was so long ago. And it continues to this day. Every time we open the word, we have opportunity to be instructed. Last time we began something that we didn't have time to finish. I'll be finishing it today. And and that will be the focus among it, all these different uh, themes that have greatly influenced my life here out of Genesis and and then how that affects Paul and his writing. But but this particular one was on the calling, the calling and the election. And we're going to conclude that today. But just to give a quick review we saw how Abraham was called. The Lord sovereignly reached out to Abraham, and that caused this division in the people because there was no division before that, apart from the one between. I mean, there were there was a division. There was there were the descendants of Ham. In other words, Noah's son had their offspring, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And it was through the Shemites that God was revealing his truth primarily. Uh, and the rest were off <laughs> there without uh, patriarchs at all to minister truth at all to them. They had to witness in the stars, as, as we well know. But beyond that, nothing. No word of truth had been handed down from generation to generation. Certainly it was in uh, the descendants of Shem. Uh, and that came down to Abram's father and then and then to him. But, but what it says is that the Lord God called Abram. And he gave him a promise. And that was to make of him a great nation and to make him a blessing and he said, those that bless you will be blessed, and those that do not bless you will be cursed. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So we now know well that that all points down to the promise of the seed of the woman coming that would ultimately be the source of blessing for all, right? So that truth was uh, just... Uh, 
in outline form, you might say. It had been handed down from from the Garden of Eden, right? And we looked in, at that at some length. But here, the promise is now being applied to a person and that person's offspring that God has promised. Okay, so, so that's in Genesis 12. Down in Genesis 15, and these were very important verses, so I'm going to read them quickly for you now. Genesis 15. Some years later, the Lord God appears to Abram in a vision, and this is what we read there in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. When born in my house is mine heir. Lord God, you haven't given me a son. Uh, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. The Apostle Paul goes back to verses 5 and 6 in Galatians and in Romans to explain this great doctrine that we especially want to focus on today called the Federal Headship Doctrine. Uh, so we'll get to that shortly. But here we see how this uh, whole doctrine is established uh, based upon promises, in this particular case promises to Abram uh, regarding his Offspring, which was not yet, but uh, the time was drawing near. Okay, so uh, that is uh, just a wonderful thing to see revealed here that God was at work, even though Abram didn't know it at the time. I mean, he certainly knew that God was working in his life to protect him and, and all that, and he had blessed him as he had come forth there into the promised land and was dwelling there in the midst of other tribes that actually believed they owned the land and it was theirs. And yet God was giving uh, Abram and, and uh, his family great blessings indeed. But there was no son provided. Sarah was barren. But God said, I will, I will, and you shall have a son through Sarah. So uh, that's, that's uh, really critical teaching indeed. And uh, 
if we skip all the way down, we looked at it in some detail last time, but if we skip all the way down to see how Paul now builds upon this teaching uh, all the way down in uh, his letter to the Romans. So promises were given to Abram and his seed. Okay, that, that means... That means uh, my phone talked to me. I don't know why. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, Abraham and his seed received promises from God. And that essentially divided his seed from the rest, right? Um, but what about the rest? Okay, I mean, what about us? We're not descendant. From, from Abraham. We're not Jews, right? We are descended from Japheth, right? We are Japhethites. They are Shemites, and there are also Hamites, okay? Now those are the three groupings, but there are no covenants, no promises in the Bible written about the Gentiles uh, as as we find ourselves today, there are promises that mention Gentiles who someday will be saved through Israel's testimony, and that has yet to come. That's for the tribulation period and the kingdom. But other than that, uh, we're, we're uh, without promises, without covenants. So how can Gentiles have any hope? They're sinners. That's clear, right? So Paul directly writes about that in Romans here, as we have already seen, and we'll look at it again today. Um, so how can these blessings of God flow to us? And he's going to explain that here. And he does it uh, one step at a time in the different chapters in Romans. But in chapter 4, he says, some key things about a covenant of works. The, Moses' law was the covenant of works that Israel was under, right? And so they did have a connection to God through that. And uh, so Abram, though, lived before the law. So what does Paul write in Romans uh, 4.1? He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So you see there, Paul also is referring back to Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And that key word there is... Uh, the word counted, which makes all the difference. Okay. Then verses four and five. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying there's a certain principle here. Abraham is our example in this. He was not justified by works, but by faith. So when God said, look at the stars, 
can you count them? And Abraham, of course, says, no, I can't. He says, so shall your seed be. Okay. Abraham took God at his word and believed, and God counted it to him for righteousness. There were no works at all. Abraham was a sinner. He had no works to offer up. I'm not saying he was an evil, bad man all the time, but he was a human like all, right? But there were none of his works that could be counted to bring righteousness in the sight of God. The whole issue was how does God see a sinner? How did God see Abraham? He needed righteousness and didn't have it. And so it says it was imputed to him. It was counted to him. So we we see uh, very important words there. The word uh, counted is used twice in verse 3 and in verse 5. The faith, not the works, the faith bring the imputation of righteousness. So God declares a person righteous on the basis of that faith. Okay. And then verses 16 and following, and I won't read all of these because uh, we would be taking all day, but I'll just read verses 17 uh, through 22, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So these verses changed my life many, many years ago because I realized that righteousness was not a matter of works primarily, but it's a matter of how does God see the person and does God see a person as righteous or not because he declares them to be righteous. It's not because the works are there. It's because he says of the faith. And in that sense, Abram could be the father of us all. You know, naturally, he was the father of all those that came through Isaac. But and the promises were passed down from one generation to another to them. And, but we were not included in that group. So nevertheless, he says, Abraham is our father in the sense that he is the example of faith alone, how faith alone can save, because that's how Abraham was saved. He was not saved by keeping a law, in other words or living a righteous life, or being a good person, or any of that, seeking after God. No, he was saved because God, on the basis of his faith alone, declared him to be righteous. Okay? Praise God. This is transforming teaching. Okay. And with that as a background, 
I'd like us to barge ahead today and look at the federal headship doctrine that is ultimately founded on. Now, I'm not saying when I say this teaching of the Apostle Paul's is founded on the Genesis account that somehow it's all there. I'm not saying that. Uh, God gave Paul much instruction and revelation concerning grace uh, that's not ever found written in the Old Testament. But there is a foundation there in Genesis. And that's why Paul keeps going back there, because without seeing how Abram was saved, it's quite difficult to understand uh, Paul's teaching about the federal headship of Adam on the one hand and Christ on the other. Okay, so that that's what we want to look at again today. We looked at this uh, back in December of uh, last year, and you might want to go back and look at the notes from that day. Or just go to the handout for today and you'll see uh, what's critically needed as I'm repeating it there. Okay, so there are a number of points here. First of all, I'll just give an overview of the federal headship doctrine, sort of looking from the top, as it were. Secondly, our hope depends on justification, which is gained through faith. Our hope depends on justification, which is gained through faith. Thirdly, our justification depends on Christ's shed blood. Fourthly, through his blood sacrifice, our reconciliation was accomplished. The blood was required. Fifthly, Adam's legacy is undeniable for sin and death reign in this world. Adam's legacy is undeniable for sin and death reign. Then Christ's legacy is offered to all that grace might reign. So death reigns through sin, but grace might reign, and that's offered, right? Then grace through Christ's righteousness reigns even more than Adam's sin. But nobody can deny that Adam's sin reigns. Look at the death, right? But great, uh, through Christ, righteousness reigns even more. Oh, my. And then the last point, by grace through faith, our personal resurrection is assured. <laughs> by grace through faith, our personal resurrection is assured. So eternal blessings await because Christ declares us righteous by faith alone. Okay, so now we're not going to look at all these verses, but at some of them, but some are absolutely fundamental. Patty, I'd like you to start our reading today in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death ringed by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, these verses actually changed my life. Now, it's not not because God gave me infinite, perfect understanding of them. In fact, uh, it's really easy to read these verses and to say, oh, I don't really understand verse 15. I don't understand verse 13. So how can I believe this? You don't have to understand it in order to believe it. We're to take God at his word. Okay? And uh, go back over and over. Take take it in as spiritual food. Let let the Holy Spirit work in us incrementally to give us more and more of a grasp on these. In, these are infinite truths, you see, right? How can a finite uh, man uh, understand infinite truth? But that's Paul says it's no excuse. I'm writing here what the Holy Spirit gave me to write. Receive it. This is the word of the living God. Okay. And it's important and it can change your life. It changed mine to see that uh, Paul is focusing on something here in a way very different to, than the way religion does. Religion's all about works. Now, if you do the works, God will have to accept you. And if you don't, well, that's not so good. Hopefully, he, you'll have enough good works. That's not what Paul is writing about. He's writing about how God sees it, how the infinite, righteous, and holy God sees sinful man, and how he sees the one man, Adam, brought sin and death into the world on the one hand, and the one man, Jesus Christ, who brought, by grace, righteousness into the world, right? And through that, love. So, life. So, sin led to death for all, and uh, Christ's righteousness brings life to many. So it's an all-many situation here, and Paul uses those words often, the words all and the word many, and the word some. Okay, so that's what we find here. This is core teaching of the federal headship doctrine. Now, I have to say I've only been in one church fellowship in my entire life where this was boldly taught <laughs> because generally speaking it's skipped over because it just seems difficult or whatever it's actually not if it seems difficult to us it's because we're just not 
absorbing it one piece at a time as God would have it, okay? But the key teaching here should be clear, and that's that it, it's as God sees it, everything is uh, either through Adam or Christ, <laughs> and all mankind are under Adam, they're in Adam until they're delivered from that relationship, right? And they're delivered through faith in Jesus Christ and that faith alone, right? And that places one in Christ, no longer under Adam's headship, but under Christ, okay? So that's what's written here. Verse 17 is a great verse indeed, such a blessing. How can we not have some understanding of this if we're believers, right? If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Reigning in life is the result of receiving the abundance of grace. Amen? Okay, there you are. Um, now, there's much more to it, of course, right? Paul mentions the law here. He's going to mention that more in uh, other scriptures, okay? So this all goes back to Genesis. Now, uh, the teaching continues here in chapter 18. And uh, in, in that section, Paul is writing more detail about this. Uh, and I'd like Tom to read those verses for us, because here the law takes center stage. Uh, Tom, Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Oh, those are wonderful, wonderful verses. They've uh, often been used by the Lord to encourage me and to transform my life further. Um, summarizing the whole federal headship doctrine so well, but but notice that uh, now he mentions the law. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered. So the situation was already there. All were already sinners before the law, right? And uh, before the law entered, Abraham had already been saved a long time before that, right? By uh, grace through faith alone, as it were believing God, taking him in his word, right? Uh, but when the law entered, it said, Thou 
shalt and gave a long list, and thou shalt not, and another long list, right? Hundreds of things are required or prohibited. But what he says is, the law entered that the offense might abound. Well, you should easily understand that. If you if you're under Moses' law, the offense abounds everywhere, right? <laughs> oh my! And so the Jews who were under the law uh, had a very special burden upon them that the Gentiles did not have. But what he says here is, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Eventually, Christ came, right? He was born under the law, lived under the law, fulfilled the law, sacrificed himself willingly for the sins, not only of the Jews, but of the whole world, right? And was gloriously raised from the dead. So, sin reigned unto death, verse 21, grace now might reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's a summary of the federal headship doctrine. And uh, then going on, what about our hope? Our hope as Gentiles, right, depends, Paul says, on justification, which is gained through faith alone. And and so for that, we go back to the beginning of chapter 5 of Romans. So, and I'd like you to read for us Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Thank you, Anne. Thank you very much. Reading those uh, very important verses. So, in summary, if we look at it from the point of view of living life and hope, right? Uh, Those that uh, do not have the faith, that are not justified, don't have the peace with God. They don't have access by faith into grace. They do not have hope and the glory of God for all eternity. And they don't have uh, an abundant life, it says here. Now, it may look like they do. It may look like they have everything to, to make them, quote, happy. By the way, the word happy refers to chance, hap goes back to a word that means chance. Uh, If you're happy, it may not be for long, right? Um, So that's a sad, sad thing. But uh, those who have faith have this wonderful work of the Lord in them, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that the love of God might be enjoyed as God works out. Uh, his precious eternal life within us. That's what verse 5 says. Hope, that hope, the one that's based upon the promises of God, does not make a shame because, in other words, it, it, will, never, it will never leave you <laughs> uh, 
alone. That that love does not make a shame because the love of God is continuously being shed abroad in our hearts, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Oh, my. Uh, Paul writes about this in other places, uh, many other places, and uh, we won't go into that. But let's go ahead. Uh, our justification depends on Christ's shed blood. And for that, Gail, would you please read from Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Thank you, Gail. So verse 9 says that uh, this is how Christ's love operated he offered up himself out of love and shed his own blood. Unbelievers can't comprehend this because of blindness and rejected that somehow he had to die. An innocent man had to die in order to accomplish our salvation. In fact, that he had to shed his blood. This is repugnant to the unsaved mind, unless uh, the blindness uh, somehow removed, right? But what Paul says here is that the shed blood is right in the center of the wonderful plan of God. And you remember how that goes all the way back to Abel offering animals, shedding their blood, uh, just after being cast out of the Garden of Eden, and how even in the Garden itself, God sacrificed animals, shed their blood, the blood of an innocent. So, Christ, the ultimate innocent, the God made flesh, absolutely sinless, absolutely in every way innocent, and he offered himself and his blood for us. Oh, my. So Adam's one act of rebellion brought sin upon all and death. Christ's one act of righteousness brought uh, righteousness and life to all of us. How? Because God imputed that righteousness to us. He canceled the the bondage that went all the way back to Adam and replaced it with uh, the very righteousness that he had just demonstrated in dying for our sins on the cross. Okay, so it was his willing act of obedience that uh, brought about our ultimate justification, right? Wow. So Paul goes back to Genesis because the whole doctrine of federal headship is based upon that revelation there. Then going on. If we're justified through Christ's shed blood, then what else can be said? Paul adds another word here that's important in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. So, Linda, would you please read that? The word is 
reconciliation. Go ahead, Linda. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Thank you, Linda. So three times here, reconciliation, twice translated that way in verse 10. And then in verse 11, 11 the word atonement is <clears throat> the reconciliation. What does it mean to say we are reconciled? It means God's gone through through um, various means, certainly through the Holy Spirit and various other means. He's gone out to those who were in rebellion, those who were separated from the holy and righteous God because of rebellion and sin. He has brought them back. He has reconciled them to himself. That's important to know because when we live in this life, we find out that the sin nature still dwells within us. So we still find our heart often going astray. But that does not break the relationship to Almighty God because we have been reconciled <laughs> once and for all. And having been reconciled by his shed blood, right, uh, and completed work, we're ultimately going to be delivered. Ultimately, nothing's going to stand in the way of God completing his program for us. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. People today who are not saved rebel <laughs> in their hearts and minds. If we talk about being saved, say you are saved and we are not well that's what god says we are saved and we shall be it's it's absolutely uh guaranteed right why because of the imputed righteousness that we have been given so god sees us in his son at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's how he sees us right now. Yeah, your feet's still down here uh, working away right, in the dust and dirt of this world, right? But God sees us seated at his right hand. So really, we need to be looking down on this world. So <clears throat> it becomes strangely deep of love, glory and grace, as James says, right? Okay, now going on. Um, Adam's legacy is undeniable. Right? For sin and death do reign. <laughs> Adam's legacy is undeniable. Who can deny it? So, wow. Uh, that's in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. And I'll just read verse 14. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses. So this is before the law. So sin, oh, I guess I can't just read verse 14 because it's out of context. Let me start over. Romans 5, verses 12 through 14 says, 
Verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then there's a parenthesis. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. There is an interesting statement indeed. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. So they were personal sinners, but that's not why they died. It wasn't because they had broke a law. There wasn't a law. It hadn't been given. That's amazing, huh? Okay. In other words, they died for another reason, right? Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, okay, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Remember, Adam had a, a prohibition, thou shalt not eat of that fruit, right? But he did. So he broke the one law that God gave him, okay? And uh, so did Eve, right? But we didn't sin like that. None of us um, ate of that fruit in the garden. And it wasn't a requirement for us. So so he says, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Nevertheless, death reigned. Who can deny it? So this is very important to see. And it changed my life to see it, right? Which is that. It is Adam's sin that's imputed to all, and through that, death occurs, not through personal acts of sin. Uh, see, this may be opening your mind to some teaching that you may have missed before, so be it. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. Certainly changed my life to see it a long, long time ago now. Okay, now I put in the handouts this this table, this this chart showing the contrasts in Romans 5, and it's really important to see in order to understand what Paul is writing here. So he writes about two men, Adam and Christ, right? He writes about two acts. One was Adam's transgression in the garden. One was the Christ's righteous act on the cross. So there were two acts, two men, two acts, two results. One was condemnation, guilt, death, and sin comes to the world through Adam. The other is that justification, life, and kingship, or to be able to rule, right, comes through Christ. So two results. Two differences, and I think this is the harder part, two differences. First in degree and then in operation. Sin abounds and grace superabounds, he says, okay? And then the way it operates, one sin by Adam result in condemnation and the reign of death for all. And then on the other side, many sins were placed upon Christ, resulting in justifications and reigning in life for believers. Okay. And so we see then two kingships. One is sin reigning to death and the other grace reigning through righteousness. And then two abundances. One is of death. The other is of grace and righteousness as a gift. And then two contrasting states. States. One is the condemned or slaves of sin through Adam. The other is the justified may reign in life 
by Christ. So that chart is in the handout. Okay, that brings us to this as a free offer to all. Uh, that's Christ's legacy. Grace might reign as offered to all in Romans chapter 5. And Gail, I'd like you to read those verses for us. Romans 5, verses 15 through 19. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous amen amen thank you gail so please go and look at that chart it will help you i'm sure to see the the differences um that's why paul says this way and that but not that way this way but not that way okay there are similarities and there are differences. Similarities in that one affected all or many. Differences in that uh, the results are in, entirely different. Okay, so praise God for that. So our purpose here wasn't to explain further the teaching, but just to see it stands written there. And apart from Adam and the God-revealing history that scripture presents, there's great difficulty in grasping the essence of our redemption, whether that be regarding our forgiveness, our justification, our reconciliation, or our life. It all ultimately goes back to Adam. That teaching changed my life. Previously, I was caught up in a religious sort of idea, which is that yeah, Christ was uh, our example, and he did great things, and we should be like him. And if we are, then God will accept us. And, you know, um, I had previously believed the gospel when I was a child, but never received the teaching that I really uh, needed. So I had a very religious uh, kind of attitude about many things, and certainly didn't really take scripture literally. Uh, I guess, like many, looked at the Bible just as kind of a poetic encouragement <laughs> for living uh, and not to be taken as truth, and therefore literally as truth, right? But uh, these scriptures changed that for me forever. We must take scripture literally, one phrase at a time, and there's great a blessing in all of that. Oh my, great blessing indeed. Reigning in life. Well, that brings us to the end of this today. And that said,
by grace through faith, our personal resurrection is assured. And Patty, just read these verses and we'll, we'll then stop at that point. Our personal resurrection is assured by grace through faith. Patty? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 49. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Amen. Thank you for reading that. So our resurrection hope is firmly founded on Adam and here, even uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, in these very important verses, uh, that's made so very, very clear, isn't it? Going back to Adam, something came through Adam upon all, and Christ stands forth as the one man. He calls him here the the last Adam, except the first Adam and the last Adam. Through the last Adam, we are brought into eternal life. Oh, wonderful, wonderful teaching indeed. Well, that sort of uh, summarizes it all. Our lives are changed by these scriptures. We need to dwell in them, rejoice in them, share them with others. And may they also grasp the difference between Adam's imputed sin and Christ's imputed righteousness. It's all about how does God see us? And you can be a sinner, meaning he sees your sin every day, and still be righteous before God. Because he has gifted you with Christ's own accomplished righteousness. It's his righteousness as displayed on the cross that's imputed to our account. So it's just as if you died for your own sins, and that was the penalty for sin was death, right? We did die in him. He was our substitute. And he was when he was gloriously raised from the dead, we were Raised as well, righteous before God. How does God see you? How does he see me? If we've believed, he sees us as righteous. If we do not believe that precious gospel, we're not saved. Okay? So it all makes a difference what you have believed, does it not? Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, I'll read one verse. Out of Galatians 2, verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord all.
Any comments or questions before we close today? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the precious word of grace, which has so transformed our hearts and souls and spirits. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. Uh, it is your work, your sovereign work, to reach out to us sinners. And you have done that so far back for some, more recently for others, but you've done that, Heavenly Father. It wasn't our acts of righteousness that that brought you to us, but rather your sovereign work towards us. And so, Father, I thank you that we are lights in the darkness, and uh, that's just the way you see us. We are the ones who are righteous by your declaration, imputing to us Christ's own righteousness. And what a blessing it is, Father, to understand that most basic and fundamental truth. And thank you, Father, that even in Genesis, there, there are these very clear pointers forward ultimately to how the seed of the woman, your son, our Savior, would come into this world of sin and death and make the difference for so many. So, Father, thank you again, and may your many blessings rest upon us, and may we be encouraged in these what seem like quite dark days. May we be a blessing to others. In Christ's name I pray, amen.